With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, In the immortal words of Michael Jordan, we are back. It's been a while, folks. Mr. Producer, are you there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're here. We're in the building. And uh, it has been a while. It feels good to be back. What are we, working on close to a couple months here or what? Almost to the day. Almost to the day. Our last... Last show was on uh, September 11th. We're at the 13th of November. So, a, n- a number of things has transpired. A number of um, uh, things have uh, passed during that time that we want to, uh, if if not talk about, just at least mention. Uh, so. Before we continue, 646-564-9909 is the number. We're going to have an abbreviated show today. Uh, we're probably going to go about an hour or so. Uh, and most of you know what the or so means, which is we don't know. We're going to play it by ear, um, which is why we're doing a smorgasbord. Borg. Is it smorgasbord or board? The smorgasbord, uh, in the famous words of Charlotte's Web, I think that's where we that's where we got it from, as we can all mm-hmm. remember as children. This the smorgasbord. So I don't think we'll be doing the uh, recovery support time segment. Although who knows, people are definitely uh, more than welcome to call in if they'd like to chime in 
on any of the topics brought up on the smorgasbord, if you will. <laughs> so, um, the first thing I want to get out the way, though, um, is... Uh, How about them Cowboys? Yeah! <laughs> Holy smokes. Yeah, that, that really just happened. How about them Cowboys? It's so funny, and, and I'm not sure... Uh, you know, uh, it's been a couple of months, and so we're 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 back at the studio, and, and we're praying no technical difficulties. But right as you clicked that Cowboys sound clip, I was clicking the uh, the the MNF, the Monday Night Football soundtrack, because we had to get the football better than anything else. But I will throw out to the crowd, it didn't work, and so I'm hoping it didn't work because you clicked yours at the same time. So let's give this another shot here. Let me, let me, sir, be the first to thank you on behalf of all 49ers fans that Eli mustered up whatever he's got left in that 15-year career tank to lead a fourth-quarter comeback against us and give us the lead in the draft battle race, okay? Because now we both share two win records, and you guys hold the tiebreaker against us. You guys may have just uh, bumped us into that top three pick. So thank you on behalf of all the 49ers fans in this area. Yeah, you guys are just tanking it. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes sometimes that's what you got to do. Sometimes that's what you got to do. So, uh, well, well, don't don't worry. We 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 were not too far away from having to go in the tank, but uh, we've staved off uh, the tank for one more week. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and the Cowboys. Well, you know the funny thing about the Cowboys. I'm sure uh, you watched. Was it the game last week where? They lost, uh, you know, they were up by one or two and lost to a 55-yard field goal, but had an opportunity to kick a field goal themselves and, and missed. And so they're they could easily be what are they four and five? They could easily be five and four. Yeah, that was against uh, Washington, and that was one of the most bogus calls uh, anyone any football fan has ever seen that pushed them back an additional five yards, and then the guy hit the crossbar. Yeah, so. yeah, crazy. So, uh, But even still, your boys are only two games two games out of first. So it looks like the NFC East might come down to the, to the wire, as it typically does in that division. Might come down to nine and seven. Yep, yep. Uh, while we're on football, as this is a smorgasbord, I want to ask you your opinion on this – New late-breaking news about Le'Veon Bell. Did you get the news today? Did you hear? I did not. So today, I guess in the NFL, week eight by Tuesday at like noon Eastern time or whatever deadline it is, is the deadline for any player that has been franchise tagged to sign their uh, tender and play for the rest of the year. And if they don't sign by the deadline, then it's official. They cannot play for the rest of the NFL year. And so everybody was saying with this holdout that Le'Veon was uh, or is going through that it would only last until today. 
uh, and then he would sign and play out the string so he could earn on his $14.5 million franchise tag. Well, uh, shocked the world. Le'Veon did not show up, did not sign by the deadline, and so it's official. He is now not eligible to play for the rest of this year, including the playoffs, which it looks like Pittsburgh is headed to. Uh, So he will miss out on every penny of $14.5 million. Sir, your thoughts? Uh, He made it clear that it wasn't about the money for him. It was about two things, either long-term security and in the meantime, saving the wear and tear on his body. So I'm not shocked that he did that. The only risk he is taking is that, first of all, I know people are calling it a holdout, but it's actually not a holdout because he's technically a free agent. He just hasn't signed his franchise tag. So he's not under contract and is holding out. Um, Right. So – the only thing by not signing, he could have just did an administrative thing and signed because technically the Steelers can now franchise him again. Will they do that? I doubt it. But sometimes you never know out of spite. But if they do that, they'll have to pay him, I don't know, what is it going to be, like $17 million? Uh, what, $15, 16000000 Because yeah. it's going to go up by 20% or whatever it is. Something uh, around that. there. Yeah, something so, around there. I mean, if they do that in order to prevent him from going to another team, they're going to have to spend, you know, between 15 and $17 million against their cap to do that. So the chances of them doing that are slim. I think they found their next running back in this uh, Connor dude. Um, yeah. So he just wants to be, quote, unquote, a free agent. And we'll see what if, if that happens and what the market will bear. Yeah, and you know what's funny is for – I don't. He just happens to play the position in the NFL where I can completely see what he's doing and, and justify that decision. If he played quarterback or uh, uh, I don't know, uh, punter or whatever, whatever position you might think on the field, maybe offensive tackles don't get injured all right. that often. Uh, if he played some position on the defense, you might say, ah, you know what, that that's. You don't want to leave that kind of money on the table. But as a running back, uh, to play on a one-year deal uh, probably has the highest risk of, I don't know, maybe any position in any sport because running backs are most likely to get injured with the beating they take in an NFL football season and to not have security beyond a year I think is actually probably a smart move on his part. Plus, I think he's uh, 27 years old, turning 27 this season. Right. Um, and, and and there are, you know, three, four, or five stud running backs who are doing more than just running. You know, they're running, they're pass catchers, and so on and so forth. Right. So they're doing a lot of multifaceted things for their team. And so, and the market has been reestablished by Todd Gurley, David Johnson, and the like, um, and Saquon Barkley with his rookie deal. So they've kind of reset the market. Uh, for these type of backs, and mm-hmm. uh, so if if anything, I think because Gurley's deal is a four year deal, which I think is reasonable. Okay, so they're pretty much going to cover Gurley's prime in the running back position, not prime right. for every other NFL position, but for the running back that prime four year period, they're going to cover for him. They're probably the same thing will happen with Ezekiel Elliott. They're doing the same thing with David Johnson. Um, so I would think he would get a similar type deal, four years, sixty. I don't know how many, how much guaranteed money Gurley has, but I know it's a four-year. Is it four years, sixty million that he got? 
Yeah, and I want to say like the that. guaranteed money was north of like thirty, thirty-five, uh, maybe even close to forty million. Right, and you and you can pretty much guarantee that he's going to earn that contract because he's young also. And right. So let's say that takes him through age twenty-eight, twenty-nine, and he's still on the latter part of his prime as a running back. Um, and so, and these, like I said, these guys aren't just pure runners; they are pass catchers too. So. We'll see. Yeah. But if yeah. I can just go back, if I can just go back to my Giants. So sure. the the best thing that could have happened to the Giants is for them not to win any more games. And I don't know if there is a like can't miss franchise quarterback coming out next year. You know, there there's always there's always the, the, right, but there's always going to be guys that are pumped up because they might be the only guys coming out, but they're yeah. not really can't miss prospects if there's such a thing. And sure. so. You know, they might end up with a, you know, good, decent, who knows, quality uh, quarterback. But they did gamble. They rolled the dice by taking Barkley last year and saying, okay, we think Eli still got two years maybe left in the tank. And it looks like Eli may may just be, you know, he may be crawling to the end of the season. Yeah. So now they're going to yeah. be looking for a quarterback. And you know what? You know how it is in the NFL. You don't have a quarterback. It doesn't make a difference what you have anywhere else that's very true right yeah no that that is absolutely true um it, By you the know, way, let me ask about your let me ask about your guy before you go on your guy sure. mullins this uh undrafted uh practice squad playing safety and on in yeah. practice guy but what is it because i see something that he does that reminds me of two other quarterbacks uh, I want to know if you could, if you see it. To me, just because of those things, if the Niners don't do anything with him, which I don't think they will, because they already got their guy, um, that other teams may be willing to take a chance on him. Do you do you know what those one or two things are that he does very well? Oh boy! I mean, to me, the sample size of two games against two horrific teams. Uh, would be hard for me to say that he does something really, really well. I mean, I do think he gets the ball out of his hand quickly. That's number one. Is, yeah, which That's is a, a big plus for a quarterback. Make your read and, and get the ball out. Um, outside of that, that getting through your read and, and getting the ball out quickly, I, I can't think of anything else that I've that has really stood out to me where I've said, oh, you know, wow, that's uh, – you know, he does that, or, or that looks that looks kind of good. I mean, he, he things that I've kind of noticed that have been maybe generally like uh, this could be a strength, but wouldn't say maybe he does it very well. Is uh, he stays in the pocket, which I like a lot of uh, a lot of quarterbacks without a lot of experience. When the pressure starts to come, they look to the to tuck the ball and run or get out of there and, and bail out kind of quick. He stays in the pocket pretty well. Um, but now, other than just getting the ball out, nothing has really stood out. Well, in my short sample size of looking at him, two things. You mentioned one of them, and they're kind of almost related. The second thing, yes, he has a he has a very he has a very quick he has a quick release, right? He also stands tall in the pocket. He stands yeah. in the pocket, and you know makes the quick read, and then gets rid of the ball. He do, he doesn't seem to be. You know, he doesn't like when the rush is coming around him. Doesn't get small, or have you know pitter patter feet or panic. You know, doesn't 
panic in the pocket. And so those two things to me, because you don't see a lot of quarterbacks that just have that. Right. You know, they got to be coached into that. And he seems to just have that. Now, it doesn't mean that he has all the other things that would make him successful. But if you got those two things going, you got a quick release, because this is what Romo had. Quick release, and he st- stood in the pocket. This is what sure. your, your, your franchise guy has. What's his name? Uh, yeah, old Jimmy. Jimmy G. You know. <laughs> Jimmy Giraffalofalo. Uh, <laughs> he stands tall in the pocket, and he has a quick release. Okay? Right. So if you have those two things, to me, you have a shot. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, I think, you know, at the very least, he could be a serviceable backup to yeah. to a lot of teams in the NFL that don't have that. And I think, obviously, um, because most teams will only keep two quarterbacks active on game day. So if you even have three quarterbacks on your roster – uh, one of them is going to be uh, inactive, and so like the story of Nick Mullins, right, he gets released every single year, and he clears waivers, and then we sign him to the practice squad. So now uh, oh, that he, that's not happening next year. Exactly, exactly. He's going so to replace your current backup quarterback. Well, so this is what I'm saying, right? So the Niners are not going to be able to, to cut – either Bethard or Mullins this coming up year without somebody snatching them up. So I think it might be smart on draft day to off one of them to some team that needs a backup for like a sixth or seventh round pick uh, because you're only, you only really need two of them anyway. So uh, this Mm -hmm. might be, this little showcase might be good to kind of garner some value on draft day for him. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting stuff. It, it, it's interesting stuff to see him come in and play, and, and at least on the surface, say, "Wow, uh, he's moving the ball kind of unlike Beathard did." But then you know he's going against a one-win Raider team and a one-win Giant team, so it's hard to really you know what can you gather from that. Yep. All right, let's uh, talk some OCG stuff here. Um, so. Part of the primary reason we've been down for so long is there's two parts. One, we were looking into this uh, other platform, which we'll talk about in a minute. And two, we've had an unprecedented barrage of audits. And mind you, not because of anything that we've been doing, you know, wrong. It's just the timing of them. Uh, This is just how the lottery wheel comes up. Um, and, you know, so we normally have every October and November or anywhere between September, October and November, let's call it that way, our own, uh, independent financial audit that we get for them to come in and look at our finances, our reporting and give us a quote unquote clean bill of health. And that report goes out to all interested parties. So this year, and this also happened in 2015, I want to say, the uh, the roulette the the roulette wheel spun not in our favor, and uh, we came up for the for the state audit, fiscal audit, and they weren't auditing this year; they were auditing fiscal year 2014-2015, which makes it more difficult because you have to go and pull all old records, bring everything upstairs. And you know you're you've already moved on. You're you, you know you're dealing with now, and they want to go back 
three or four years. Um, so that makes it a little bit more difficult. And so we had that. Then we had the county come in to do their regular audits that they do throughout the year, and they're doing them differently this year. They're kind of spreading them out. They're doing different. They're, they're doing the physical plan at one point. They're doing the charts at another point. They're doing the administrative audit at another point. So, you know, anywhere between three and four visits for them during the year, whereas previously it was just one visit. They might have, you know, take, you know, all day or two days, parts of two days to do it. So that occurred during this time, or one of their three or four audits happened in uh, late September. Uh, then, Mr. Producer, you know about the insurance company's risk management site visit. Yes, I uh, do. That 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 they conducted. And what's interesting about that is, so you have the audits where, you know, the state, the county, et cetera, or even our own independent financial audit, you know, they're they're looking to see to make sure that you are doing what you say you're doing. And, you know, you're handling the resources appropriately and all that good stuff. The insurance company, we actually pay them to insure us, and they want to make sure they're mitigating their risk. Right, right, <laughs> well, yeah. right. Even though you're paying us thousands of dollars a year to insure you, we want to make sure that there is very little chance you will ever have a claim. <laughs> to, yeah, uh, right, exactly. Uh, because that's not how insur insurance companies don't make money off of claims. They make money off of your, your monthly or, or annual bill. Mm -hmm. And um, so, uh, they want to do everything they can to make sure you will never, ever have a claim and the thousands of dollars you pay them on an annual basis over – Years and years and years, right. you will you will never claim on that money, right? Yeah, that's not that that's we pretty... not that we want to. I mean, if we ever have to claim, that means something terrible has happened, um, right? So we never want to do that. But it's just the irony of it never escapes me. Yeah, no, I mean, such is the idea of insurance, generally speaking, right? Uh, a company that is designed to take money from every party it insures for the purpose of insuring you, yet hoping they never have to insure you. Hoping they never have to pay out. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> she, she comes in and looking at the 10-pound dumbbells, oh my goodness, do you let your clients lift those? Uh, you may want to cut out all weightlifting and wrap them in bubble tape while they're here, in fact. Or uh, have someone come <laughs> out and inspect your exercise bike to make sure that it's not going over uh, two miles an hour when they ride it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, exactly. make sure they're wearing, and make sure they're wearing a helmet in case, in case they fall off the exercise bike. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh. that's pretty funny. Yeah, so we got hit with all of it at once, huh? Yeah, all, yeah, some of it, some of it simultaneously, and some just in succession. Um, so you didn't get, you know, there's like no uh, breathing room. You have one, you get a chance to, you know, recover from that, and you know, get some space in between. So um, it is what it is. I mean, it happens. You just got to deal with it. So. Moving right into, uh, Mr. Producer, the platform change that we spoke about in our last show and show before that. <clears throat> so I think we briefly talked about, not briefly, we actually we talked about it 
that we were going to move off of the current blog talk platform that we were on to a platform called Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, um, yeah. which blog talk recommended because of the experiences and, and the complaints that we made regarding the technical issues that we were having with their platform, which they have still never adequately explained. Um, so they said this the Spreaker platform would be a little bit more robust, I guess, in its uh, in its you know background or its structure infrastructure, and that we would not experience those technical issues. So after our September 11th show, between that show and now. It has been no less than five times that I have gone into the Spreaker world and have tried to figure it out. And not only is it limited in terms of what we need and what we are used to, um, it is way too complicated. And really? And especially since, uh, Mr. Producer, you know, this is not our full-time job, we cannot right. deal with complexity. Not that we're not intellectually capable. It's just that, no, we want something that's simple, that works, meets our standard of performance, and uh, we don't have to spend 17 hours trying to figure out, okay, how do we get that speaker to plug in? Right, right, right. Or, or which which one of those buttons is for my mic versus your mic, and all and how do we bring calls on? Well, no, we don't. I don't want to spend all my time trying to figure all of that out. It should be simple. It should be very easily explained, and all that stuff. And and this one isn't. And I spent a decent enough time and more than enough time trying to figure out just how to get the mics to work. And if I have to do that, that's a red flag and a warning sign right off the bat. So. Uh, we are not going the Spreaker route. And more importantly, I don't even like the name. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I'll tell you, it's it's interesting to me that you bring up a technical difficulty that has been happening on a recurring basis, and the company's solution to you is uh, just try something else try a different platform like is that kind of an indirect way of admitting that they don't know what they're doing technically on their end of things or uh, I that, think I know what it is to me. I think I know is what it is does Spreaker cost more money per month not necessarily um, <clears throat> not necessarily I mean there would be some things that would change in terms of our ability to store our shows um, and what have you, but apples to apples, it'll, you know, basically work out to be similar. But uh, what I think, and, you know, I don't know this for sure, but this is what I think is the issue with blog talk and some of the technical issues is they may not be able to figure out on their end what it is. If, if they even believe it's on their end and because if they don't believe it's on their end, the, well, the other end is not in their control. They can't control people's 
you know, what kind of internet access they're running, what kind of bandwidth they have available on their side, and, you know, what browsers they're connecting to, what's the quality of their mics, their, their this, their that, and all of that stuff. So they probably look at their direct connect system and say, okay, we don't have any faults, we don't have any uh, error messages coming up on our end, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, plus the fact of how we are currently set up uh, versus how we were previously set up before our offices kind of moved and we had to go to remote, you know, we're, we're operating from remote locations, whereas before we were in the same location and we were set up very differently. Uh, probably the previous setup was more studio-like because we had studio mics. We were connected using a mixer and all of that stuff, which took us a few months to figure out. But we eventually got it, and we had, what, a good two-year run of no technical issues. Yeah, yeah. And then the technical issues started, and then we kind of solved it. We had another one-year run with no issues, and then when we kind of moved to the remote locations, um, and we had to then access differently, that uh, the technical issues became more consistent. So who knows how much of that plays a part in it? I don't know. Ah. Um, but we're pretty much gonna. I'm saying all of that to say <laughs> <laughs> that uh, it looks like we will just have to deal with the Blog Talk platform for now until something else better comes along. Yeah, boy, well, and I'll tell you, I mean, um, it, it, it's it's truly a mystery, and I just can't wrap my mind around why nobody at Blog Talk can figure it out or even try and narrow it down. Because, like you said, we went for a year, almost two years, very, very smooth without any kind of technical issue. And then recently it seems like, uh, you know, like you said, we had experienced some setbacks and then it all kind of got straightened up again. But then, uh, you know, I don't know, we're operating at a, a very high free throw percentage, if you will, of the past, I don't know, six months to a year of shows where you are like 80 to 90 percent guaranteed that you're going to run into some issue throughout the duration of a two hour show. It, it really makes no sense to me. Yeah, it became pretty frustrating um, to the point that we had to uh, develop a uh, a backup plan, um, an emergency intervention plan. <laughs> just yeah, to deal which we've with, got in uh, place. Just to deal with getting knocked off the server. And I think we've also mentioned numerous times it wouldn't be so bad as if when when an op- it, it was always me that got knocked off the server. If when you get knocked off, it would let you know, and then you get, it would give you options. Hey, do you want to reconnect or whatever? Or even if it didn't give you the options, if it let you know that you got knocked off, you can then, you know, use your backup method. But because right. we wouldn't know for, I don't know, up to a minute even that we got knocked off, and then by then it was too late in terms of implementing your plan – because the whole point of the plan is to know that you've been knocked off, seamlessly integrate your plan, and there's no disruption in your show. Right. So, 
Yeah, right. After a minute of dead air, then everybody knows, okay, something has happened again. But if a real quick pop-up came up, or say maybe the studio just turned to like grayscale, right? Like the color disappears or something. Right. Then, oh, okay, I've been knocked off. I can go to my plan B right now, and that's nothing more than a hiccup. But you right. and I are sitting here having a full conversation about the topic du jour. And, and then we're getting texts from people listening. Uh, we haven't heard a word you guys said in the past five minutes. What? Oh, yeah, no, that's no good. And not, not only that, <clears throat> but when we tell them, and it's in the same, it's it's also been the same issue. It'd be different if it was different things happening, you know, and they're trying to chase different things down. It's always been the same exact thing, uh, which I thought would make it easier to, to chase it down. But it hasn't. But you know who I blame? You know who and what I actually blame? Mr. Uh, share with us. I blame Daytop. Okay. It's Daytop's fault because if we, if pride and quality was not so heavily ingrained in us <laughs> where we would accept substandard performance and not, yes. not only in terms of the <laughs> you know the the infrastructure of the service we're using but in terms of how we want our show to be how we want it to sound how we want it to yeah. come across and all of those things and the efforts we put into you know the practice shows and, and getting it right and ready and all that good stuff you know all of that is comes back to just the pride and quality that's ingrained so we wanted it to 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 be of quality so right. when something upsets that, you know, it's quite bothersome. Yeah, well, I, and I will add to that that I might, like, my threshold for tolerance might be a little higher if this were a free service. So if blog talk were just littered with advertisements and, you know, on the, on the web page and that's how they made their money and they offered a free platform for people to do these things um, – then I could say, ah, oh, you know what, that you know that's what happens with a free service. You can't really complain because, you know, this is what we're being offered. But the idea that we pay for it uh, monthly, then yeah, there's an expectation that comes with a paid service that it's going to work. You're going to get what you pay for, and yeah, uh, blame it on Daytop or not, we are not getting what we pay for. And the thing is. You know, they do offer a free service. The only thing that changes – well, two things change as you move into their paid service is you get more time allotted to you for your show, and then the frequency of your shows can increase. So yep. instead of having just an hour, you might get two hours or you might get three hours, and then you can do shows you know, seven days a week or whatever the case may be. And that's fine and dandy. And then, of course, you get to you know store your shows on their – you know, server and all that good stuff. But I think we pointed this out uh, numerous times because we get advertisements for them to, you know, upgrade your show to a higher level than what it's at. And we're like, okay, so what's what's part of this upgrade? And it has nothing to do with better infrastructure <laughs> or what have you. It's just right. some, some, you know, peripheral bells and whistles. And right, like, yeah, you okay. yeah. Your show can be two hours, and you can experience two technical difficulties instead of one. <laughs> oh, boy. Yep. 
I right. hear that. Well, yeah, it's enough. That's enough beaten down blog talk, especially since we're going to continue to utilize them. So if you're listening, blog talk, uh, this is all in fun. This is all in fun. <laughs> that should only be worth one technical difficulty over the next two shows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. What else uh, are we covering on the smorgasbord? You mentioned some stuff to me pre-show. Yeah. So I want to move to uh, gripe sessions. So, Mr. Producer, you know, um, so right now in Our Common Ground, there's only three people that do gripe sessions. Yourself, me, and the residential site supervisor. Correct. And as you are also aware, gripe sessions are, you know, a staple of the therapeutic community, but are very, very, very rare. Um and rarely used by the supervisors, et cetera. So, um, for some context, mm-hmm. we'll throw some context out there uh, to give people an idea who are listening of the rarity that you speak of. I would say over here at the recovery residence, we probably have not had a gripe session in over four years. There you go. So we'll just we'll put that on the table to give people some sort of context. Rare, to, rare in this community does not mean once a month. That, that's like uh, you, oh, yeah. you. It's possible you could work a cycle at, at OCG, maybe as a clinical staff, and go through your whole supervision and your whole uh, your whole internship, and then go on to other things if that's what you choose to do without ever having witnessed one. As an example to that. <clears throat> In my entire term with Daytop and Our Common Ground, I've only done five. Yeah, there you have it. So that does average to about once every five to six years, once every five and a half years. Yep. So I did a gripe session at the residential facility. This was back in, I want to say, September-ish. Okay, a couple months back. Since it happened, um, I've been waiting to speak on it on our show, and it what kind of started it. You know, every now and then I, you know, when my ears are to the ground in the facilities, you know, you might hear things. And another thing we should say is that oftentimes a gripe session, the purpose of it is not for only for so that gripes can be vented and made made public because there's always on a day-to-day basis tools in the house for you to address your gripes whatever they may be there's right. different tools you can use but more often than not the gripe session is for us to use to kind of, uh, for lack of a better expression, go back at them. Uh, so let's hear what you have to say. Let's hear what the gripes are. And then, you know, you might get 20 to 25 gripes in a gripe session. And out of that, you may find anywhere between two and five would be high. But let's say between two and five legitimate gripes that you can 
put pen to paper and say, all right, we're going to look into this. Okay? But all the others are things that should be and can be dealt with within the existing tools that are available. Okay? And yep. so, so you take those two to five and you say, okay, we're going to look into the, put them off to the side. But those other 20, 22, whatever that you get, those are uh, smacking tools. And I say that lovingly, of course. Because a lot of times the purpose of the gripe session is we, as staff, have said, you know what? There's an, an, an attitude going around. There's an air going around that needs to be addressed. But before we do that, let's first hear what they have to say before we let them know what we have to say. And more often than not, that's the actual purpose of a gripe session. So I did hear some things that really rubbed me the wrong way about some attitudes that were starting to get pervasive amongst the clients. But I first, of course, want to, like I said, have them to vent what their complaints or gripes are. And, you know, Mr. Producer, we've done at least two shows on this over the years. I think the last one we did was on entitlements a few months back. Um, And I know it's one of your pet peeves. It is absolutely one of mine. But it seems like more and more, like you know, it's been fewer and far between over the years, but it seems like more and more with the culture, not necessarily our clients. I'm talking about the societal culture that it's like, woe is me. You know, what, you know, what are you going to do for me? Um, why do I have to do this? Um, you know, why do I have to wake up so early? <laughs> Just stuff that, you know, after a while, you're like, what the hell? <laughs> right, right, right. Well, we we use the word entitlement all the time for the new, the new culture, if you will. Absolutely. And, and it seems like we would have to spend a lot more energy, whereas we did in the past, a lot more energy um, addressing it more consistently because maybe that's just now a part of the culture. So not specific to people who come into our program. It's just a part of the culture that, for whatever reason, that people feel like they're owed, that they're entitled to something, or the program owes them something or is supposed to give them something. And it is so uh, counter to what they, the attitude they need to have to succeed in their recovery. That goes against everything that you need to, you know, think about and how you have to conduct yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, etc., to be successful in your, in your recovery. Right. It can't happen. The two, are, the two can't coexist. And so the gripe session is almost being becoming like one of the avenues that, at least me, that I view I use to get this message across. 
Because, I mean, have you, Mr. Producer, you've done some gripe sessions yourself? I have, I have, I have actually been a part of two. One, as a client in the adolescent program, uh, and let me tell you, our gripes as adolescents were quite creative. And uh, and then, yeah, I have been on maybe one or two on the staff end of things, but was never – did I ever run one? I'm trying to think if, like, I kind of co, co-ran one with Larry one time. Um, but, yeah, so I, I have been a part of at least one on both sides of the fence. If you can recall, tell us a little bit about your experience sitting in one as a client. Uh, oh boy, wow. I am trying to think back. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, so first we would qualify the statistic you had about maybe, and I would say five would be high. I'd say maybe two to three are going to be incredibly valid. And I want to say, uh, being a part of the gripe session when it was us versus the staff to put it in, in terms like that. You know, we might have had one or two that were somewhat valid, but the kind of the main purpose of it was maybe just to vent a little bit, uh, especially for adolescents, because you're just kind of frustrated that you're in that position and nobody nobody truly wants to be there as a teenager. Um, but more of an opportunity just to kind of complain about stuff we didn't like, uh, in hopes to maybe get a rule changed that we weren't fans of. <laughs> uh, so, so not necessarily attacking it from the angle of like what is truly fair or unfair, what might be better for us in any given scenario, but what is it we really don't like about being here and about the structure, uh, and maybe if we complain about it in the scribe session, it'll get changed. So, I can tell you, I, I as a as a resident, I was involved in one gripe session. And I actually got out of 250 people, I was fortunate enough to be one person, one of the ones that were called on to voice a gripe. You want to know what my gripe was? <laughs> Something about uh, sports or basketball or outdoor time. Nope. My gripe to Felix Arroyo, who was the acting director at that time, because we, we just had a director change. And so there was a lot of upheaval, a lot of uproar going on. <clears throat> And Felix Royal came down from the city, or came up, yeah, came up from the city to take over as interim director while they were assigning a new director. So he had about a two-month interim period, and one of the things he did was a gripe session. Yeah. And my gripe was that we weren't getting enough sleep. Okay. And I thought, and I still do to this day think, that one of the things people who come into treatment are lacking as a result of their addiction lifestyle is proper sleep. Okay. And so the way the structure is set up is that, you know, you have off the floors at a certain time and then lights out at a certain time. And then 6 o'clock to 6.30 wake-ups, let's say. And lights out are usually at 10 o'clock. So that gives you, as a client, as a resident, a eight to eight and a half hour window to get a reasonably 
six and a half to eight hour sleep. Now, if you're a room strength, you're not going to get as much. If you're a coordinator or the chief, you're not going to get as much because you're going to get off the floor late and you're going to have to get up early. That's okay. Yep. It's all mimicking real life. But we want to make sure that people are getting six and a half hours at least. Six the minimum, right? Right. Well, when you're getting people off the floor from cleaning the house at 11, 11, 30, and 12 o'clock, and then they have 6 o'clock, 6.30 wake-ups, and by the time they get, you know, situated and, and whatnot in their rooms, you know, you're now down to five, five and a half hours of sleep, and that's not okay for someone who needs to get back in a proper sleep cycle and needs the fuel of decent hours of sleep. So that was my gripe. And all it took, and this, and this did happen, by the way, all it took was uh, having a little bit more respect for the, the nighttime structure, meaning, you know, when it was time for to clean the house and get off the floor and all that stuff, that you don't have the clients sitting there till 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night doing whatever because it then pushes everything back. Right. By the time we get to our rooms, it's 11.30, quarter to 12, and by the time you get situated, it's already 1 o'clock, and now you're up again at 6 o'clock. So they fixed that, and then, you you know, you got back to your usual six and a half, seven hours. I was fine. Now, of course, you know, you want to make sure you're not getting the side eye from the staff. <laughs> right, 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 right. Where <laughs> it's going to come, come back at you on some level. You just don't know about yeah. it yet. But we had we had we had a method to deal with that. You know what that method was? We didn't care. <laughs> that yeah, was the method. <laughs> we did not care. Bring it on was our attitude. We didn't care. So, and that's the attitude residents should have is that you know what? I don't care if someone if a staff member wrongfully. This is wrong. If someone ever does this, wrongfully tries to get back at you as a resident. For standing up for yourself. Right. Standing up for what you believe is right. Voicing what you believe to be right. Even if you don't get it. Even if there's no change made. But standing up for yourself. And that somebody will come back at you in a negative way. Absolutely wrong. But that the fear of that should never stop you from doing it. So that was my experience with, with the gripe session. But yes, Mr. Producer, I agree with you 100%. Because, of course, with the adolescents, you know, they want to be slick. You know, they're trying to get over. And so, you know, they're probably trying to plan ways to, you know, use the gripe <laughs> session in a coordinated, systematic. So we have we have these six or seven, you know, distraction gripes over here. But what we really want are these one or two over here. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, we were good. We were cunning. <laughs> Right. Go in go in with full game plans. Yep. So the gripe session that I did recently had its usual, you know, there were two or three legitimates, um, and the rest was stuff that they could, you know, use the tools to get over. But the nature of the gripes is really what I'm talking about today are vastly different from the nature of the gripes in yesteryear. And the question is, okay, well what is that about? And obviously, I can only come to one conclusion because treatment isn't that different in terms of the structure and things of that nature. The length of time is different and all that good stuff. But the TC really hasn't changed that much. 
So what is that about? Well, it has to be the nature of the residents, you know, you know, what their expectation is of being in treatment and what they should have or uh, what the treatment experience should be like. Now, where they would get that from, I don't know. Because if you've never been in treatment, well, how would you know what treatment should be like? Right, of course. So I can only point to that it's an outside societal thing at its root. You know what I'm saying? You know, almost yeah. like, uh, you know, let's say you rent a hotel room, and the expectation is that, well, you know what, I expect that I, ha- I should have room service. My breakfast should come up to my room at 8 o'clock in the morning. Not that I should leave my room and go down to the conference room to get the continental breakfast. You know, I expect yeah, that you right, brought up right. to me. But where the hell would you get right. that from? Exactly. You know? <clears throat> so there's a different expectation, and, you know, I don't know where it comes from. It must come from that, but I tell you, and we have to be consistent. Oh, I know I'm going to be, be consistent in beating that back, not because, not because it's like, well, how dare you have that attitude, it's because we know that that attitude is counter, 100% counter to successful recovery. You just can't have that attitude. That's very true. Yeah, exactly. Well, I like your point of, A, you have no kind of a framework to work within to state how something should be or, or what you might expect it to be. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, the, one of the biggest things, and we talked about this on some of our more serious episodes, uh, one of our biggest kind of predictors of success is how open you are to treatment, right? And just being open to the process and, and trusting in your environment. These are all things that are not happening if you're, uh, you know, demanding your uh, your room service at a particular hour. Right. Now, I do have a question for you, Mr. Producer. Um, what has your experience been like as uh, leading the recovery residents? And by the way, I think we should let our listeners know the recovery residents idea, even though for us, OCG, it's now been over four years since we started ours. Yep. Uh, is still a new idea in California. Right. It's now officially recognized at the state level, recovery residences, but in terms of how many there are, there's very, 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 very few. Sure, sure. Um, and I do want to say that we were the first. That's right. Um, Let's get that on the air. Right. Put that in the archives. Yes. Our Common Ground was the first recovery residence, uh, true recovery residence, supported housing, um, not only in San Mateo County, but in the state of California. Progressive, progressive thinkers over here. Um, but so you've been leading it up for some time now. Uh, how has it been for you? Because one of the things that we that we like about the recovery residence is because since the length of stay there is almost similar to what the old school TC used to be like. How has it been in maintaining the TC environment there at the recovery residence? 
Uh, I think, I think generally it's been it's been good. I mean, you have to. It would be a very naive stance to expect that it wouldn't look different from what your traditional TC looks like, um, because as we all know, especially in this current uh, economic climate and the field that we work in, uh, you know, things change. It's a very fluid process. And so in a traditional TC, and again, so we've kind of tapped into this, into these shows, um, you have your kind of middle, your, your younger members, your middle peer, your older peers, um, you can fill out an appropriate chain and uh, that looks a little different with us because there are some folks that we get coming in who are not from uh, our program. So they might be coming in and be new to OCG's recovery residents and our, the TC way and our structure and the way of doing things, but they're already coming in with, with full-time jobs. And so they're not going to go through the traditional level one phase one and work their way up they're already on a on a level, for lack of a better term, where you're going to be filling out itineraries and going out, and you're going to be out of the house a lot. And so that looks a little different than in the kind of traditional platform that you're used to seeing. Uh, and then there's a little more freedom. There's a little more freedom of movement at the recovery residence here because the recovery residence here is connected to uh, outpatient, uh, an outpatient program in some way, which is a step down from residential care in the current kind of political climate um, that our field operates within. And so you have clients taking themselves to medical appointments as needed, things of that nature, where in a traditional TC, you might not even see something like that taking place until at a minimum middle peer, uh, but more so for, for older peers. Um, but with that said, the, the heart and the soul and the spirit of the TC still very much thrives and very much exists and guides the recovery residents, which which I like. So you, you have that element, you have that, that kind of the guiding light, if you will, where things within it are, are malleable and moldable and, and look a little different, but the, the bones and the principles and the, um, the things that the TC is really rooted in and the foundations still heavily exist where you've got, you know, a, a peer run community where they all have responsibilities and they're holding one another accountable. And it's, it's very much a peer to peer interaction, um, a peer to peer run facility. Uh, and uh, the, they have to take accountability for the environment they live within. We still very much preach the basics of the TC, pride and quality in the structure where groups are called on time and they're ended on time and the rooms at the facility are a constant point of emphasis. And so the, the guts and the heart of the TC still exist while saying that you still might get a graduate from, from Daytop or someone who came from an older kind of traditional TC who might come in and, and think this looks a lot different than what I'm used to, but maybe sitting down and going over the books with the coordinators or looking at some of the processes, they would still be able to see that the TC still lives. Uh, it just looks a little different than how uh, an old school person or traditional TC person uh, might expect. Um, do we still do we still shave heads? <laughs> we do not shave heads anymore. Uh, that is a thing of the past. We do not put adults in humongous uh, bed sheets wrapped to make look like diapers. 
uh, those those things do not take place uh, any longer. We we don't uh, we don't have people who are uh, uh, <clears throat> guilty of uh, being sneaky or stealing, dress them up in a Spider-Man costume or anything like that. Yeah, and no, stopped, that is correct. Doing that. We stopped doing those things. The the public tar and featherings, if you will, are a thing of the past. Uh, however, people are still responsibly held accountable for their actions. What about the huge uh, delicatessen signs people used to wear around their uh, necks? Yeah, no, Ad- those 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 signs Ad- are all gone. Yeah, the the buy one get one free. Uh, come and confront me on why I am a, a liar and destined for relapse. Uh, yeah, those such such signs have been removed. Uh, and, I, I, and I will say, Mr. Producer, I'm going to throw this out there just because obviously it's unique for us to do a one-hour show. We're about 15 seconds away from getting cut off here. No, no, we have more time. We have more time. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, the the signs have been reduced to, uh, let's say, like a shoebox size now. So it might be a tabletop <laughs> sign or, you know, something like that. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's a little sign that now is not going to be wrapped around your neck, but when it is time for you to go to your relator's table and have your your brothers come up and, and relate to you on whatever issue it is you are going through, uh, your sign is placed at your seat at your table so they can come up and read to see why it is you're there. And, and the conversation and the, the – the the point of the whole thing can still take place. It just uh, it's aesthetically it's a little different. Right. Um, <clears throat> is it? I think one of the things that we like is, because we we are we have accepted the fact that our residential program because of its shorter length. A lot of the traditional TC things aren't able to get a, a person isn't able to experience them. Most mostly, where it impacts is really the job structure, uh, because normally someone would not become a coordinator until they have, you know, five, six, seven months of recovery under their belt, because that would be the most um, Responsible position in the house that a, that a resident could uh, could have. Um, so it is unusual and, and challenging in the residential program to have a coordinator that's just been there for 45 days. Correct. Okay. Now, even though it's unusual and challenging, it still means you, you have to adapt and you have to uh, manage that um, to the best that we can. But I think when they, those that do, and, and the overwhelming majority of them do choose to go on to stay in the recovery residence, uh, they do get to experience uh, the, the the seniority of the coordinators over there more so than they do, obviously, in the residential program. And, and, it, and it carries more of its um, it, its exalted status, if you follow what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, because because you can be over there three, four, five months, and and it doesn't mean you're going to get a coordinatorship. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and, which is the way it should be. It should be reserved for 
the most experienced, the ones who've been around the longest, and the ones who have the most recovery under their belt. That's what it was designed for. Um, so, but that's who who that's who we are now as a program. So, uh, but I think they work well together. The, the the residential program now being viewed as, you know, an intervention. Um, to get you grounded and immersed and started, and then the bulk of your treatment will be done in the outpatient modalities. I mean, that's just the way California has rolled now. Um, right. And, we, and we've adapted to that. So moving on, I just got a couple more uh, topics that we can run through. Um, one is uh, one of the things that happened while we were gone for those couple of months is the uh, fourth year anniversary of the Monsignor's passing, I believe it's October 19th, is the day, um, which brings me to, uh, Mr. Producer, was it you? No, it wasn't you, so I can, t- I can share with you for the first time. It was someone else that I spoke to. Now, I have to say this kind of delicately, uh, but um, it is funny. Well, let's say it was funny at the time that this happened. Um, and last Wednesday or last Tuesday, one of those two days, um, I was cleaning out a closet in my old, old, old office. So my, I won't say my original office because it was my second office, but the office I stayed in the longest before I moved over to the adult facility. And But the closet in that office, I always kept even though I left the office. So it was, the office became the intake office and this office, and now it's the deputy director's office. But I always kept that closet because in it we had uh, some things, uh, some uh, architectural plans of the facility, uh, some equipment, things of that nature. It was just a regular closet with shelves in it. So I decided, like, let me clean this closet out and, and so that we can, you know, because a lot of this stuff is now, I mean, what, 15, 20 years old, and, we, you know, we don't need this equipment anymore. Right. And that's what I was doing, throwing a lot of this equipment out and all that stuff. Well, you know when you're going in the closet that's that you've had for 20-something years, you're bound to find something that's pretty interesting, which I did. Oh, okay. I found something that was pretty interesting. So some time ago, um, the Executive Council of Daytop mailed out to every Daytop facility pictures of the Executive Council to put up in the facilities. Okay. Wow. I remember when I got that envelope, and I said to Joe Hennon, our Vice President of Cal- Daytop California at the time, we both had this, and Joe Hennon's picture was included because he was a part of the Executive Council. Sure. So we both had the same reaction. First, we, we, we just laughed so hard about, uh, about the audacity <laughs> of them to send pictures of themselves to put up in the facilities. It's like how, uh, you know, who would do something like that? Yeah, like why, I wonder why they didn't say we want your spare parts to carve a Mount Rushmore out of the backyard <laughs> of our faces. Exactly. And we said, you know what? The Monsignor deserves to have his picture up, and he already did anyway, in every single facility of Daytop. 
Right. And then I said, and Joe, you're the senior vice president in charge of Daytime California. Your picture deserves to be up. Of course, he didn't want his picture up at all. Uh, but I said, how dare the rest of them have us try to put their pictures up on the wall? And I, and I, and I said at the time, I hope every facility had the same reaction we had. Yeah. And obviously, it was nothing against those gentlemen at, and, and, and ladies, ladies and gentlemen, at all. It was just, you know, like, who would do something like that? Right. <laughs> Here are our pictures. Put them up in the facilities. We had such a great laugh over that. And, of course, those pictures didn't go up. Hence, they were found buried in a closet 20-something years after the fact. So, <laughs> um, but the beauty is of finding those pictures is we, we're going to put them up in our, because they're now quote-unquote artifacts, if you will. Um, and we will put them up in our hall. We haven't yet settled on what we're going to call it. I don't know if we're going to call it a hall of artifacts or something. We're going to call it something. But where we're going to have all of our historical things of Daytop and even our common ground that clients, visitors, whomever can see. Yeah. Um, so um, that's where I said, okay, we're going to save it to put these things up. Because I think it's good for people to see who were the – the the corporate leaders, if you will, uh, and most of them, except for one, were you know on the executive council for a very long time. Um, so I think you can put them in that particular status of being the the, the corporate leaders of Daytop, <clears throat> especially Charlie Devlin. And the person that I was talking to at the time uh, recognized Charlie Devlin. I said, yeah, you know, if other than the Monsignor and Joe Hennett, if there was anyone else's picture we were going to put up, it would be Charlie Devlin's because Charlie was the first graduate uh, of sure, Daytop. Sure, you know sure, what I mean? sure, sure. Right. So, um, but, and the thing is, that envelope, you know, it was just a, a plain brown manila envelope, and it was addressed to, you know, Daytop, California. And I thought it was um, uh, another, you know, um, architectural drawing just folded to fit in that envelope. So I wasn't even going to look at it. I was just going to put it in the stack with the other drawings and then just put them back in the, in the, uh, in the closet. But I said, let me see what's in this envelope here. You know, it's just kind of an odd, you know, nine by 12 envelope. And right. I, start, I first pull out the letter, you know, the letter and the, the letter doesn't come from anybody. You know what I mean? Like no one's signature is on it, like who it's from. <laughs> It's a letter. <laughs> it's just, you know, to all the facilities. So you can't put a name on who you want to blame for sending That's that letter. Very, very ominous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. So, so that'll so, yeah, be for so, the archive wall. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, synonymous now on, you know, whether by being fortunate, happenstance, or what have you, what have you, that you know the Monsignor's passing coincided with us starting our radio show, and you know our very first show, which was off the cuff, unscripted, and all that good stuff, was because we found out he passed away, and we were in the midst of doing our practicing. And well, we said we got to, you know, do something, um, which we did. And but we weren't slated to go live with our first show, 
And the anniversary date of that show would actually be tomorrow, the 14th of November. Okay. Um, so tomorrow is our four-year uh, anniversary. Thank you there very we much. go. There we go. Yes, yes. Thank you. Um, and so, you know, those two things will always be connected for us, at least, uh, because, you know, they just happened within the same similar time frame. And one kind of they, – they're unrelated, meaning we weren't starting a radio show because of the Monsignor, but we kind of jump-started our first show because of his passing. And then we, right. you know, kind of – we already had our start date set. And so we did his show, and then we uh, um, waited until the start date came, which we then did on November 14th, 2014. <clears throat> so um, I don't know if let, – let me just say something about the Monsignor real quick. Now, this, it didn't have this impact on me, but it was very interesting to be a fly on the wall to witness this at various times. <clears throat> I never got, as a resident, mind you, okay, what the big deal was. But, you know, when, when we found out, and obviously we were made aware by the staff, okay, the Monsignor is coming down tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, whatever the case may be. And, you know, all of a sudden, we just turned into, like, the military. <laughs> right, I mean, sure. I mean, you know, it was like a totally different structure. You know, it was your regular structure, and then your structure for when the Monsignor is coming. Right. And, of course, the, the structure when the Monsignor was coming was, you better just get out your, your latex gloves, your scouring pads, and 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 whatever else because that's all you're going to be doing for the next 24 hours. Yeah, get to cleaning. Get to cleaning. And I remember I thought that the front area in Swan Lake, the floor was meticulous and just the epitome of pride and quality. Clean and immaculate. Until I saw them cleaning for the Monsignor. <laughs> you never saw the facility look that clean. I said, wait a second. It must have been dirty before for it to look like this after it was cleaned in preparation for his visit. Because to me, that became the standard of how the floor should look. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. At least on a weekly basis. I mean, the the buffing machines came out, the wax came out. I mean, the whole nine yards. And when you came on the floor the next morning, you could see your reflection in those tiles. Sure. And these were these weren't the uh, the vinyl plastic tiles of today. I'm talking about the ceramic hard tiles of yesteryear, which you really had to buff to get some shine out of them. So, and you knew it was something because as you entered the facility, and I'm sure the same thing happened at Parksville. You entered the facility, had the white sheets down. They didn't want no one scuffing the floors. <laughs> but but, <laughs> but that, wasn't the, that wasn't the odd part. The odd part to me, 
But I get it. I, I, I absolutely get it. I didn't get it as a resident. I got it once I became a staff person. Was that the Monsignor, he wasn't just coming up there to just visit Swan Lake. He was making his rounds. Hence, hence the helicopter. Okay? Sure. You know, he was stopping at every, I would presume, each, you know, upstate facility. So you got Swan Lake. You got Parksville. You got Rhinebeck, you got Mill, Millbrook, you got Fox Run, etc. Um, and he would spend, I, I want to say at Parksville and Swan Lake, he would probably spend, and maybe even Rhinebeck. Uh, no, you know what? I'm sure he spent the decent amount of time also at the adolescent facility in uh, Millbrook. Because, you know, that was his thing, right? That he loved the adolescent facilities. So, but... Maybe he spent an hour the most at Swan Lake. I'll presume the same at uh, at uh, Parksville. Parksville, the other uh, adult facility upstate. So let's say he spent an hour at each facility. So that's about a day trip, right? A full a full day's work for him. But when he left, you know, I mean, that was it. It was like it was almost like a letdown because all the preparation that you did in terms of cleaning and getting everything on point and the whole nine yards was over after that until they came back up again. So it was almost like a letdown. All right, so what do we do with everything that looks so spotless all of a sudden? But more importantly, why wasn't that, why isn't or wasn't how the facility looked right then and there, the standard moving forward? And that's just a question I had as a as a resident. Now, as a staff member, looking at it from the other side of the fence, you kind of get it because it's not possible in the work week to build in that much time to do that level of white dust, you know, white glove cleaning to have the facility looking like that, okay? And obviously, during the winter, with the snow, the rain, the sleet, the hail, and all that stuff, you know, I don't even recall if the Monsignor visited during the winter months, to be honest. Um, because it's a chore to keep the floors clean, obviously, when you've got 200-something people walking throughout your facility uh, trying to keep the floors clean. But his, you know, his visits were... You know, I, I guess the only connection we could make was like preparing for a presidential visit. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? Because he is arriving by helicopter. He wasn't coming up by car. You know? So it, it was it was something else. It was experience. Uh, something serious was going down. Right. Now, when you get on the other side of the fence, the other thing that you realize in terms of the, the Monsignor is he's obviously very down to earth. Um, and you, 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 you don't get to, obviously, out of 250 people, not everyone's going to get to experience that type of, experience that side of him, so to speak. Because um, he's coming in, he's obviously meeting with the directors and, you know, and whatever staff are there and whoever the welcoming committee is. And then he's going to, you know, speak to the whole family and, um, and, you know, more often than not, he's not touring the facilities unless he has a reason to. Unless he has a reason to. He has toured facilities if he has a reason to. 
Um, but he's not going to tour the facilities. Um, he's going to, you know, the the main point of his thing is he wants to see the family. Um, and I think I said this before when we were talking about him at some one year or so, is it seemed as if his visits were almost timed to be either in the midst of or near the end of a tight house. You know, right at that moment in time when, you know, it's getting real hard and it's like, you know, you know, something's got to give, you know, it's like, you know, you know, the pressure is being put on you and, and you're really being tested. And then you get a visit from the Monsignor. And he always has an uplifting message. You know, and so you don't know if it's like planned that way or if it just happens, just by coincidence. Who knows? Uh, yeah, kind of an organic thing unfolding. Exactly. You know yeah. I mean? So, and and obviously when I say tight house, and the tight houses from yesteryear were very, very different than tight house anyone in the let's call it the early 2000s and onward, whatever had ever experienced. And what I experienced was nothing like those who came before me experienced. I mean, they used to take the clocks off the wall and board up the windows and, you know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, you wouldn't have any idea of whether it was, you know, daytime or nighttime or what time of the day it was, et cetera. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like stuff they do to uh, to torture terrorists now. <laughs> you have no idea what time it is. Um, but we look at looked at it as, you know, I mean, in one tight house, and I know I'm going off topic, but it's okay. One one of my favorite takeaways from the tight house, and I used to, you know, put forward to others is sitting in the dining room for no less than four hours, sitting in your chair, staring at the unwritten philosophies, wondering, you know, you weren't verbally saying this to your your person sitting next to you, but I'm sure all of us were wondering, are they going to come down and address us? Right, right, right. We're just sitting there staring at the philosophies. You couldn't talk. The chairs were hard. Wooden chairs. I I think they were wooden chairs. Um... And you're just staring at different philosophies, which I'm sure was part of the purpose. Stare at different philosophies and determine whether or not you were uh, incorporating them and internalizing them and all that good stuff. So I, I used to, add, you know, long after that that experience, I would always tell people it never it never bothered me at all to sit in a doctor's office, the dentist's office, and have to wait an hour. I was like, I could sit in the damn house meeting for four hours staring at the wall. Right. How is how is one hour in a doctor's office going to bother me? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's pretty funny. So yeah, makes makes normal tasks uh, feel real easy. Yep. So that's all I have, Mister Producer, for our smorgasbord. I don't know if there's anything you want to add. It's all open. Um, We sure went longer than an hour. I didn't plan to, but. Yeah, hey, no, that's good. We got a we got some good discussion going. We got a, a lot of things off the table. You got your own kind of personal gripe session. <laughs> so, uh I think I think we're good there. 
All right. So what we'd like to do um, is definitely um, <clears throat> have another show between now and when we normally do our when we normally break for our uh, our holiday uh, over the you know obviously the Christmas holiday, New Year's holiday, etc. Um, so we'll probably have one more show between now and then, um, and then uh, get rocking and rolling for the new year, obviously. Yep, that's what we gotta do. I will, uh, I will hit everybody with a little song on the way out, as to keep with our tradition of uh, intros and outros when it comes to our music. You're a true DJ at heart, and so we'll hit them with a, a little song on the way out, and then we will catch them on the uh, the next go round, whenever that may be.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.